Welcome to the Sawyer Highlands and Converge Community Church Sermon Podcast. Each week we will upload the sermon that was preached during the Sunday morning service at our New Buffalo campus in hopes that it will serve you well during the week. So sit back, relax, and may you be encouraged by the great hope you have in Jesus Christ as you listen to the preaching of God's Word. Uh, it's good to be back here uh, at Converge. Um, feel like it's been a while since I've been up here, um, but I have been, I think Jeff's preached a couple of times, Rob's preached a couple of times, um, and it's good to be walking through the book of Galatians again with you. Uh, we are getting close to wrapping up this book, and uh, I hope it's blessed you. I'm, I, I pray that the Lord has blessed you in this and has spoken as we've walked through it together. Uh, this morning, we're in Galatians chapter 5, verses 7 through 15, so a smaller section. Actually, what we're going to do is we're kind of we're going to cover this twice. Uh, this section is is kind of important, and hopefully we can draw that out this morning, and we're going to dive down deep into some of these verses the next week as well. So um, we're, we're going to really take some time in these verses. Uh, but I do have to say that this section we covered, and I shared this in the Sunday school class, that this has been one of the more troubling sections for me to try to wrap my head around uh, what makes it so troubling is it seems that Paul is all over the place. And uh, I'll, I'll try to explain that and unpack that a little bit more. Um, trying to figure out basically the flow of thought of what he's, what he's doing. And, and it seems like he's kind of jumping around, um, that it doesn't hold together, but it actually does. And so we're going we're gonna to try to talk through what, what that means and what that looks like. Um, and I do believe that Paul is trying to lead us somewhere, somewhere important in this conclusion, because I think he, this is where he's going to start wrapping up things. Um, and I think it will help first for us to take a step back and look at the whole flow of the letter. And as we do so, I pray that uh, our passage this morning, it'll, it'll make sense as we do this. So let's, let me remind you of the main idea of the book. What Paul is trying to communicate, it is this. It's a call to return to the gospel of grace so that you can walk in freedom with the Spirit. Okay? Return to the gospel of grace so that you can walk in freedom with the Spirit. And we know at the beginning, Paul starts addressing this problem. What's the problem? The Galatians church is abandoning the gospel and turning to a different gospel. He knows that false teachers have come in into the church and he's, they're, they're teaching this false gospel and Paul pronounces a judgment upon them. Okay, so he's, he's using strong language. He then continues on and makes an argument for why the gospel that he preaches, opposed to these false teachers, and their false gospel, why his gospel is God's gospel. So he starts to make that argument, and then he begins to explain what this gospel is. And he starts by saying, it is justification by faith. 
How are we made right in the eyes of God? It is by faith. And he begins to unpack that. It's receiving the spirit by hearing with faith. And by faith, we are now sons and daughters of God. And it is by faith that we are now set free. So he's going through um, this, this idea, this concept of justification by faith, and he's unpacking it for us explaining it to us. He's talking about what it brings us to freedom versus law that brings us to enslavement. Last week, Paul told the Galatians, um, because of this and, and because of what the gospel is and what it does, that we are to stand firm and not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And he gets very specific, right? By by holding to or accepting circumcision as this religious practice, as this practice to be made right before God. And he basically says if they accept circumcision, they are putting themselves back under what we would call this covenant of law. This covenant of law versus the covenant of grace or the covenant of Christ. They put themselves back under this law and they're enslaved by it. They have to follow all these laws and all these commandments. And he says, if you do this, this is uh, in verses five, uh, chapter 5, verses 2 through 4, and this was last week. He says, if you accept circumcision and thus attempt to be justified by the law, this is what's going to happen. Number one, Christ is of no advantage. No advantage to you. Number two, you will be required to keep the whole law. If you try to follow one part of it, you're going to have to follow it all. Number three, you are severed from Christ. Severed from Christ. And number four, you have fallen away from grace. Friends, this should put the fear of God in us. The point is, any way that we should try to obtain right standing before God by our own works puts us in grave danger. It's not a health issue. It's not a life and death issue. It's actually a matter of eternity. To be severed from Christ and to have fallen away from grace means eternal damnation. And so it's after this severe warning that Paul gives to his readers, this idea that neither, um, it's after that warning that he turns a leaf. He, he turns to, uh, it's, a, it's a transition. And he says this, neither circumcision nor circumcision counts for anything, only faith working through love. So what counts? What counts? Faith working through through love. And this brings us to our passage today. And what Paul is going to do is unpack what he means by that phrase, faith working through love. And he's really going to focus on that in verses 13 through 15. So that's just part of our 
passage for this morning, verses 13 through 15. He's going to unpack what he means by faith working through love in that section. But before we get there, we have to figure out what he is doing in verses 7 through 10. And this is what I shared in our Sunday school class, my frustrations with verses 7 through 10. Because it doesn't seem like it fits, but it actually does. It fits in some way, and we have to figure out what that is. That's what we're going to do this morning. So let me start by giving you what I think is the structure of this passage to to, to understand this flow. So here it is, verses 7 through 10. It's this kind of idea, and that is to beware of the false teacher who will, in the end, suffer by God's hand. Beware of this false teacher or these false teachers who will in the end suffer by God's hands. Verses 11 and 12 is describing it is better to offend man than to suffer by God's hand. It is better to offend man than to suffer by God's hand. In verses 13 through 15, it's a call to use your freedom to follow the new law of love. And so with that, let us read Galatians chapter 5, verses 7 through 15. I will read it, but if you'd like to follow along, and if you would please stand with me. Um, this is a, a good practice for us, just, and that's if you, if you can stand. You don't have to stand, but this is just um, out of respect of the word, um, standing together as, as I read this. Galatians 5, verses 7 through 15. You were running so well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preaching, cir- preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish the ho- those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another... Watch out that you, do, you are not consumed by one another. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, as we walk through this passage, I, just, I ask, Lord, that you would, you would guide us, that you would speak. It would not be my words, but it would be your words and that the Spirit would move. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. All right, again, Paul is going back to this concept of faith working through love. But first, we have to ask, what is he doing in verses 7 through 12? What is he doing there? And in order to answer that question, I think we need to take a step back and look at Paul's flow of thought, which we've, we've kind of broadly gone through. And the illustration that I would like to make, in, in fact... Doug in, my, in, in the Sunday school class made an illustration, and it was very similar. So I, I think we're on to something here. Um, so it's like an affirmation. Thank you. 
Uh, I'm like, okay, I think we're going in the right direction. But here's the illustration that I came up with. It's kind of like what Paul is doing in this letter. Is first he starts out, um, you think of it like swimming. He's, he's above the water. He's, he's floating in the water. He's above the water. water and, and, he's, uh, and he's speaking to them about the problem, about the, the issue, the main issue in that church. And he's giving specifics of what's going on. And then from there, and I kind of already talked through this with the flow, then he starts diving down, right? And he's starting to explain that this gospel is not man's gospel, but God's gospel. And he gives reasons why. And then he goes to what the gospel is, justification by faith. And he's talking about what justification means and what faith means. And he's describing that and comparing that with the law. And then he's going into the Old Testament. So it's like he's diving down and, and getting into these particulars, these details. He's, he's looking at the little plants and he's observing the little fish and, and how it all relates together. And then there's times throughout this letter where he rises back up to the surface. So for example, one of these is when he says, uh, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And then he kind of continues on and starts diving down deep again. And I think that's what he's doing here. I think he was going down deep about faith. Okay, so he uses this analogy that we are born of the free woman, not the slave woman. And he unpacks that in such detail. And then he goes into the dangers of, of being under the yoke of the law and how that severs us from Christ. So he is getting down deep. This is theology, Ooh, right? And now he's coming back to the surface again. And I think it parallels very well with how he started this letter. Uh, chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. So hopefully I can, hopefully you can see these parallels, okay? These similarities. So let me read this. This is Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Okay, this is the beginning here. Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel. In other words, look at Galatians 5, verse 7. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? You see the similarities there of, of them deserting the gospel and turning to a different gospel? And with this, hey, you were running this direction and somebody cut you off. Who was it that cut you off? It was this, these false teachers preaching this false gospel. Who are these people? Right, and so he's 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 uh, he's comparing these two, or there's there's some similarities there. Now, if you go to Galatians chapter one, verse eleven, he says, "For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not man's gospel." It's God's gospel. In other words, if you now go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 8, this persuasion, this 
false gospel is not from him, God, right? It's not from God who calls you. See the similarities there? Again, Galatians chapter 1, verse 8. But if even we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. He actually repeats it. Again, I say, if anyone preaches another gospel, let him be accursed. Wow. Like he's, he's pronouncing judgment, isn't he? Go to Galatians 5 verse 10, where Paul says, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And he's having confidence in this too. I have confidence in the Lord that the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty. Will bear the penalty. Whoever he is, whoever he is, whether it's an angel or even myself, preaching another gospel, let him be accursed. I am confident that he will bear that penalty. So my point is, I think what Paul is doing is reiterating how dangerous it is to follow these false teachers, which means we need to listen carefully and be able to distinguish the truth from falsehood. The truth from falsehood. So, like I said again, verse 7 through 10, it's this call. Beware of false teachers who will, in the end, suffer by God's hand. They will suffer by God's hand. They will be accursed. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 says it this way, and it's, it's another command or an urge to do something, and that is, see to it, or make sure that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And so here's the question. There are so many messages coming at us in our daily lives today, isn't there? I mean, whether it's from our phones, from TV, from newspapers, from billboards, from music, from art, uh, all these directions, there are messages coming at us. And the question is, is how do we filter them all? How do we filter all these messages that are coming at us in today's culture? Which ones are false and false messages spoken by false teachers? And how can we identify them? I think those are very important questions for us to ask for our day because there, there is a lot of messages coming at us. And we need, to make, we need to be able to distinguish truth from lies. So let me give you some, some answers to that of how we can do that. Number one is to be, the stu- be a student of the word. I think that one's... Be a student of the word, to be in the word, to read the word, but to, but to actually really engage with it, to ask questions and ask, you know, in, in light of this, of what I'm, I'm reading here, how does it apply to the world around me and the message that I'm hearing? So it's, it's measuring the two. And you know what? Isn't that 
Isn't that what Paul is doing? He's, he's measuring, he's, he's comparing faith, justification by faith. He's comparing it to works of the law. And he's using scripture to make a distinction between the two. That's exactly what Paul's doing in the book of Galatians. I think, I think we need to do similar things. So that's number one. Beware of false teachers who will in the end suffer by God's hands. Here's, here's the second section, verses 11 through 12. It is better to offend man than to suffer by God's hand. So I think that's, that's the thing here is what he's trying to draw out, there, that there's a distinction. It's this question, okay? False gospel, false gospel, you, you're good with man. You're pleasing man, right? You're, you're, you're tickling the ears, it's the, it's the message of the world, and you're not going to face any trouble when you, when you give that message and speak that message and live out that message. But here's the problem. Spiritually speaking, when we talk about eternity, there is a danger. There is a danger. On the other hand, being a follower of Christ and putting our faith in what he's accomplished for us, we will be saved. We will be saved. However, we will also be persecuted. We, the world will not like us. So which one would you choose? Which, which suffering, which turmoil will you choose? Will you choose the false gospel and you can live comfortably here in this world? Or will you choose Christ? And yes, the world may hate you, but you will save your soul. It's that kind of question that I think that Paul is, is, is uh, describing here. So let me, let me try to unpack that for you. Uh, Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Here we are comparing again. This is what he says. For I am now, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Right? Which one? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So why, here's a question, why would Paul avoid being a servant of Christ if he wanted to please man? Why would he avoid being a servant of Christ if he wanted to please man. So jump down to Galatians chapter 5, verse 11, because I think that answers that question. He says, but if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. So here's the point. Why, why, would, why would Paul avoid being a servant of Christ? Because by being a servant of Christ, he's going to be persecuted. And you know what? That's exactly what happens. So if you think of the story of Paul, right, who actually starts out persecuting the church himself, he's, a, he's zealous for the law. And so he's out persecuting the church. Jesus grabs a hold of him. And after he grabs a hold of him, he says, I'm going to show Paul how much he must suffer for my name. I'm going to show him how much he must suffer 
for my name, as my servant, one proclaiming the gospel. And instantly Paul goes out and he goes to Damascus and he starts preaching the gospel. And there's people that are saved, but there's also people that are angry, Jews who are angry. And the, and the passage says that they want to kill him. It says, and immediately Paul proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed, but Saul, uh, and later it says that uh, Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. And the Jews were so upset at this teaching that they plotted to kill him. And Paul's friends had to sneak him out a window of the city. That's how bad it got. Paul's life was in danger. This was, this, his message was such an offense that they were coming after him. And then when you read the rest of his ministry, you, read, you see him going to city after city. And yes, there are some who heard the word and believed and became followers of Jesus Christ. He also made a lot of people angry. In fact, to such an extent that they would follow him from city to city, stirring up crowds to such an extent that they would grab him, throw him out of the city, and stone him, try to stone him to death. They actually follow him or, or get to Jerusalem before him, and, and when he comes to Jerusalem, they stir up the crowd there, and when he's in the temple, they grab him, and they start beating him to death. And it took the Roman soldiers to come in and actually stop them from beating him to death. This all because of Paul preaching justification by faith. This was an offense. He experienced persecution. The world does not like this message. And you know what? Here's the thing. It's not just Paul. It's not just Paul. Jesus talked about this as well. So let me... Um, let me turn to this passage, John chapter 6, verses 60 through 66. This is Jesus in his ministry, and he is healing, he's casting out demons, he's feeding like 5,000 people. They are following him into the desert to hear him and to be healed by him. He is amassing this huge following. And then we come to 6. And, and he says this in John chapter 6. He says, I am the bread of life. People start, what? What do you mean by I am the bread of life? And he starts to unpack what that means. And it's a long conversation. I'm, we're not going to go through all of it, but just a section of it. This is John chapter 6, verses 60 through 66. When many of his disciples heard heard it, this, this idea of, I am the bread of life, and, and particularly this phrase where he says this, uh, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part of me, right? He says to that extreme, okay? So that's the message he gives. Verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense of this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? 
It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And then if you drop down to verse 66, after this, when he's, like I said, talking about his, you know, eating of his flesh and drinking of his blood, says this, and after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. After this message he gives, it was an offense to them. They turned around. This is, he says, disciples. They turned around and walked away. These are people who experienced the work of Jesus. Healing the sick, casting out demons, multiplying food. They walk away. What's funny is, is after that, he turns to his 12 disciples, the ones that stuck with him, and he goes, do you want to go too? Do you want to follow them or follow me? And Paul re, or Peter responds back, where should we go? Where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. So they, they continue to follow Jesus. Um, here's, here's another word from John chapter 15. This is verses 18 through 20. This is Jesus teaching to his disciples later on in his ministry. He says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Again, this is later, First uh, Peter chapter two verses six through eight. This is a uh, um, this is Peter quoting a prophecy. He says, "Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a, co- a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone." and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they are destined to do. So here's the thing. Paul is saying that if he were still trying to please man, he, like he used to do when he was a Pharisee, he would be preaching the law. He would be preaching circumcision there would be no more persecution and everybody would love him. But here's the problem. There would be no need for Jesus. There would be no need for him to be sacrificed on that cross for our sins. What he accomplished for us would be uh, rendered useless to us. And this was an offense. This is an offense. So think of it this way, like, uh, you know, a lot of, there, there is something in us, and, and this scratches, you know, I scratch my head of this, it's, it's a mystery to me, of this desire to work and to prove ourselves. I think it comes out of a lot of, a lot of motivations, a lot of heart issues with us, a, a lot of it has to do with pride, but it's this idea of, no, 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 I'll do it. I got this, right? And we see this in our children, 
right? When you try to do something for your child and your child's like, no, 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 I want to do it. Let me do it. And that could be a good thing, but it could also be a bad thing. It can also be something that is dangerous, especially when it comes to trying to be made right in the eyes of God. There's something there that says, no, God, I got this. I got this part. I can do it. And the Lord's saying, no, you don't. The standard, the the expectations, there's no way. There's no way you can hop over that bar. So I think, um, I think this is what he's getting at here, is that this is an offense. The message of the cross, justification by faith, apart from the law, is offensive to the world. And so it's the question of what are we going to do? Another way of asking is this, who are we going to fear more? Are we going to fear the world? Or are we... Do we fear God? I think that is what it comes down to. It's that question. Who is it that you fear? So this was the path that Paul traveled. It's the path set by Jesus. It's the path he calls us also to walk as well. And you know, and by doing so, it will be an offense. In some way or another, it will offend. All right, so verses 11 through 12, I think it comes down to this, that it is better to offend man than to suffer by God's hand. I think that's what he's getting at there. And again, Paul in these verses is coming back up for air. This section here, I think that's what he's doing. He's been digging down deep. He's coming back up for air, restating the problem, that you've stopped running the race, and then he condemns those who are causing this problem, and he's taking a stand to follow the gospel, which is an offense of men. That's, that's what's going on here. Now, so this is verses 11 through 12, okay? And that's kind of the summary of 11 through 12. Now he is going down into deep waters again, but in a different way. Throughout this letter, Paul, so, so here's what it looks like. Um, remember, he's, he's stating the problem. I'm, I'm going back to the flow. He's stating the problem. He's talking about justification by faith, and he goes deep into that, right? Now, we just talked about him coming back to air for air again, right? Restating the problem and the false teachers, and, and which one are you going to choose? Which Are you going to suffer this way, or are you going to suffer by God's hand? He's, he's restating all those things, and now he's digging back deep again, but now it's a little bit different. He's going to go a different direction, and I think this is the key verse, or the key phrase, and it's found in verse 6. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, at the very end of the phrase, he, it's, it's, um, it's these words. It's this idea of faith working through love. Faith working through love. He just spent all this time talking about faith, justification by faith, right? Now he's, he's bringing in a, different, a, a new concept, a new idea that is connected with faith, and that is love. Faith working through love. 
Paul, what in the world are you doing? Faith working through love. What does that mean? And I think he unpacks it in verses 13 through 15. So, this is how he starts. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, the very first phrase, he says, For you were called to freedom. You were called to freedom. And he's already been talking about that, right? So he's reminding us again about how we were called to freedom because of faith. We are now free from the covenant of law. However, being under the covenant of grace can lead people to a false conclusion. And I think this is where he's going here. Okay? So it's this idea. Um, How am I going to describe this? It's this idea that since I am free from the law because of faith, I can do now whatever I want. I am free. I can follow the passions of my flesh. I can sin and sin freely. And by God's grace, he will forgive me. I think this is where Paul is going. And this is a false conclusion. It's, it's, going, it's going down a wrong track. And I think this is what Paul is trying to address. And so the big word that I want to use it's the, it's the word is called antinomianism. Antinomianism, which means uh, anti-law or against the law. So Paul is, is kind of, um, Rob described it to me the other day, and I thought it was so helpful. He's threading the needle. Like this is, um, you, you can go this way and fall into legalism, or you can go this way and fall into where you're just living unrighteously and and in debauchery and sin. And Paul's saying both of those paths are bad. Both of them will lead to danger. But here's the path for us. Okay? So um, that's that's what he's unpacking. That's what he's addressing here, which which is kind of in addition to or helping us get a better picture of what it means to be justified by faith. Okay? So, continuing on in verse 13, Galatians chapter 5, 13 through 14, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So here's here's where it feels like Paul's throwing a monkey wrench in this. Wait a minute, you just talked about this distinction between faith and law, and now you're telling us to actually fulfill the law by loving? How does that work? So I think the key distinction here is this, and it's this question. How are we justified? How are we justified? We are justified by faith. And the wonderful thing of what takes place here is, is, is that through that, there is a work of God in us. And Paul describes this in so many different ways. One picture of it is, the, is, is um, I think it is in Ezekiel or Isaiah. Ezekiel, where it talks about the heart of stone, replacing it with the heart of flesh. 
Ezekiel 36. Thank you back there. I heard that. Amen. Um, but it's this picture of what the Spirit does. How did you receive the Spirit? By hearing with faith. What does the Spirit do within us? It regenerates our hearts so that now we can love. We can love like Christ loved. Christ is in us, and therefore we can love like Christ. So there's this work that Christ has done. It's in us so that now we can fulfill this law of love. And that's what he's unpacking in here for us. And this is really hard. This is a really hard teaching to grasp. It's frustrating to me because this is what I want. And it's funny because it reverts me back to legalism. I just say, God, this is really hard. I feel like I struggle. I sin all the time. I don't love, would you just give me a list? Wouldn't that just be easier? Just give me a list. Just tell me how many times I have to tell my wife during the day how much I love her. Like, you know, like, can, you, can it be 10 times in a day? Because I can, I can do that. I can, set my, I can set my alarm 10 times during the day, right? An, an, an auto, uh, um, like an auto tweet or uh, auto um, text, right? Texting where it just puts it out there to her phone 10 times a day. I love you. I love you. I love, can, can you just, what is it, making dinner once a week? Can you just give me a list, please? That would be far, far easier. The wild thing is Paul doesn't do that for us. And so let me give you an example of this. This is in, um, um, I'm jumping the gun. Oh, I even took this out. Okay, so let me explain this. In the book of Romans, he does this, okay? So in the book of Romans, he explains justification by faith to us. He unpacks that through chapters one through five. And he actually comes to the same conclusion that he's coming here. He starts to address this, this, this false uh, concept of antinomianism, being against the law. And he says it in this way. So if grace abounds, right, then why don't we just sin as much as we can? Because, you know, as we sin, we see God's grace even more. So sin greatly, sin often, so we see God's grace. And Paul responds to that, and he says, by no means. Don't you see? And this is where it gets frustrating. Because he says, no, 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 don't do that. Just, just do this. Make the list. You know, tell your wife that you love them. Tell your kids. Make sure that you give them a kiss before you leave. Give them a hug. No, no, no. He doesn't say those types of things. He doesn't get into those types of these, these laws or this legalistic work. He says, by no means. And he says, you have died to sin. You've died to it. How can you live in it? if you died to it. Oh, that is so frustrating. You know what that means? That means this is not a work of my own. This is a work of God. And it's a work of the Holy Spirit within us to help us to love, to spur us on to love like Christ has loved us. This is what Paul is getting at here. So let me read these verses and we're going to wrap up with these Galatian or um, John chapter 13 verses 34 through 36 
This is Jesus speaking. I love how he does this. He says, a new commandment I give to you, a new one, not an old one, but a new one, that you will love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Okay, great. New commandment. Love one another. All right. Okay. John heard that command to love one another. If you go to 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 10, Beloved, I'm writing you no new command, but an old command that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is that the word that you have heard, the old commandment is the word that you have heard at the same time. Oh, I love John. It is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true. And I think this is the key because, you know, the head scratch, okay, we're going back to the old command. We're going back to the, uh, the fulfillment of the law to love your neighbor. We're going back to this, this old thing that we saw in the Old Testament to love. But I think this is where it's new. He says, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him. I think that's where it's new. It's in him. And in you, because Christ is in you, right? Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him, there is no cause for struggling or stumbling. So here's the point. Yes, we are no longer under the covenant of law. We do not make ourselves right before God by any works of the law. Instead, Jesus has freed us from living under that kind of system by fulfilling the law for us on the cross. And since we are now constrained, since we are not constrained by that, we are now called to freely love one another. Okay, so I have spent, I've spent, uh, couple of hours trying to think of a great illustration of this. <clears throat> this is the best one that I come up with, and I think I shared this with you before. So think of this as an illustration or a parable, okay? And I'm going to make this general. That I, I observe this just by watching uh, either my family or other families or people in general. But so here's the, here's the uh, parable of this family. And in this family, there's two children with two rooms, and, and they're different from each other, okay? And, and so it is good for them to clean the rooms, to have a clean room and not live in a way where bugs and, um, and mice and smells, you know, that, that arise and, and just, you know, just kind of trashes the room, right? It is good for the room to be clean. And so the parents come to one of the children and they say, and it's a disaster, you need to clean your room. Oh, really? Yes. Will you please clean your room? Oh, okay. 20 minutes later, 30 minutes later, to come back in. Room, not even touched. 
hey, I asked you, clean your room. Oh, okay, I will. No, no, I want you to do it now. I will, not 10 minutes from now. I will. And then so finally they start cleaning up your room. They're like, good, they're going to get it done. You come back in and everything is just shoved underneath their bed. Um, that's not cleaning your room. It, oh, you know, it's, it's this begrudgingly doing what you're asked. And, and, and it could go to such an extreme where, where you start to say, okay, this is what I need for you to do because you can't do it when I ask you to. Uh, from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. every Tuesday, you are to go into that room and work at cleaning that room. Okay. Still not what you expect. So now you say, okay, in that hour, here's the list of things you need to do. You need to dust, you need to vacuum, you need to put, you know what, do you understand where I'm going with this? Is that there's this heart that is opposed to cleaning their room, something that is good for them, right? And the parent has to come in like this overlord with these constraints and these rules and these laws, and they can write them out specifically, five, 10, 15 pages of how this room is supposed to look. That is the covenant of law. That is the covenant of works. That is the Old Testament law. That was the law of Moses. 15 chapters of laws and rules that they were supposed to follow, and they go, okay, I'll follow them, and they were never able to follow them. Covenant of grace. The other child. The other child who has this, this need or this desire for um, order and, 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 and likes that and loves that. And, and so when you, you, you go in, um, maybe the room is dirty and messy, but, but they're the ones that want to clean it up and want to, to make it right and good. And so you don't have to say, would you just please clean your room? Maybe you just have to say, man, I noticed that your room isn't clean. Yeah, you know, I ran into this, I ran into that, I didn't have time, but you know, I'm, I'm going to get it done. Yeah, I know you will. So my point is this, is sure, it may not be perfect, that, that room, right? Sure, sure, there'll be times when it's dirty. Sure, you know, but, but here's the point. The, the parent never has to be over them and overbearing and set up all these rules to make sure that they, they clean their room. And I kind of think this is very similar of what Christ has done for us. You see, he has made us righteous by dying on the cross for our sins. And it is by faith that we have received the Holy Spirit. And that Spirit works within our hearts. So it's not anymore being rebellious against our Father but we understand the love that he has for us. And it is through that love that we, we want to love as well. Because he so greatly loved us. It's displayed to us as he suffered and died for us. And that changes things. It changes our hearts through the spirit to where it's like, I want to love now like Christ loves. 
and I don't do that perfectly. There's a lot of times that I stumble and I fall short. But the wonderful thing is that even, even in those times, the Lord will forgive and we are called to repent, to get ourselves back up and continue loving like God loves. I think that's, there's a big difference there, isn't there? Constrained and forced and pushed into these laws to try to uh, perform love towards others or having a heart of love where we can freely love without those constraints. Does that make sense? This is where Paul is going with this. He's unpacking it, saying, listen, we're not under this law anymore. We, we are not justified by that. We are saved by grace. Don't allow that, that idea, that, that truth to send you off on sinning and, and, be, and living selfishly. Use that freedom to love others like Christ has loved you. Amen? Let's, um, as, the, uh, as I pray, if we can have the uh, worship team come up. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We give you thanks uh, for this uh, passage and what Paul is doing here, this transition, uh, helping us understand what it means to have faith and what it means to have faith that is working through love. And I pray that um, you would challenge us today about how we can live that out in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like more information about Sawyer Highlands Church and Converge Community Church and the service times for both campuses, please visit our website at www.sawyerhighlands.org. Until next time, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.